Hello, and welcome to season four of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard, pivoted out of campus-based positions, hold senior-level positions in organizations, and love it. What started as an idea that they thought might benefit a few is clearly filling a need across the nation with education professionals during the Great Resignation. Jamie and Tom are excited to be back for another season with over 25,000 downloads across our first three seasons. So have a seat or take a walk. However you listen to podcasts and get ready for ideas and inspiration. And if you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. Hello and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Studdard. And we are joined today by one of our fans. No, I'm just kidding. That's how she introduced herself. She is awesome and we are her fan as well. Although I just it just occurred to me that I should have clarified one element of the pronunciation of your last name. But Samantha Goldstein, you got it. I got it right because it. I was like, wait, it could be Stein, but Steen. Okay, perfect. Goldstein. I love your journey. I'm excited to learn about it. I'm going to let you share partly because I want to make sure, you know, I sometimes folks feel comfortable with the comp- sharing the company they're at. Sometimes they don't, but you have had the opportunity to work at Adjacent, it appears. And now you're sort of in ed. And so it's great. It's going to be wonderful to hear about kind of what motivated your movement and where you got started and all the things. So with that said, if you can get started by telling us, what did you do generally when you were in, what was your campus-based education experience? And tell us a bit about your journey. I mean, a lot of times we'll say, what are you doing now? But there's a few things that you've done and pivoted throughout the way. So we'd love to kind of get high level overview of that as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Jamie. And thanks, Tom, for having me. I'm so delighted to be here as like a fan of the pod. So my friends call me Sam. You're welcome to call me Sam as well. I'm here in Chicago and my journey has been over about 14, 15 years, either within higher education or adjacent to it. Like you said, Jamie, it's exactly right. And so my journey, I think I want to rewind a little bit back to just my first job out of graduate school, which was not actually on a campus-based role, but it was the entryway to me doing all this work. So I worked for a company called EduVentures. And it was 2010. So to paint a picture for folks over 2010, peak of for-profit and no universities were hiring at that point. So everybody finished our grad program with no jobs. And I was lucky enough to get hired at Edgy Ventures and I got put in their online continuing education research wing. So they did market research for universities on enrolling online students, how continuing education units are using their physical plan on the off season alumni satisfaction, all these really cool things. And I got to do that work for university. So I would build projects, manage relationships. I would deliver the reports and I would present the information to universities. And I loved it. It was a small, small office and a lot of just interesting folks who had worked in higher education previously. I was new to higher education. I had done my master's in higher education. I had done an on-campus grad assistantship. It was my very first time really interacting with it in a more global sense. And I was just lucky, I think, to get that job when I did because of the complexities that I saw. 
And so I was doing that work for about two years and talking to all these universities. And the one thing that I think I was missing was the credibility of having done the work full time. So I was like, okay, I need to get people to take me seriously when I make a recommendation. And I need to be informed about what it's like to navigate these really complex campus environments. I'm going to go work at a university. So I was really lucky. I got offered a job at Carnegie Mellon University, which is my hometown, Pittsburgh. And they made a position for me. They saw my background and they were like, look, we've got someone retiring and we need you to come in and be an academic advisor for our doctoral students in electrical and computer engineering. But we also need you to help us scale our office. So this office was started, we had 20 on-campus doctoral students. Now we have 300 across five campus locations and everything is still paper-based. So when you take that experience you've had doing this benchmarking and this research and come help us and be like an internal consultant. And so I said, yes, of course, that sounds amazing. And I did that job for three years. So my first campus-based role was in academic advising, um, working with these students, scaling up operations, working on pretty critical projects related to dashboarding, reporting, and I love working with the students. That was the part that surprised me was I thought it would be the process and the work. It was actually just students coming in and just trusting me with really hard situations they were navigating. And I'm the person who's helping them work through a very challenging doctoral program. So I did that for three years. And then I realized that I was tapped out. I had completed some really big projects. I had gotten a title promotion that was nice on paper but it came with some baggage. I got a title promotion that included the word special project coordinator. So I was a senior academic advisor, which sounded great. And I was a special projects coordinator. And I didn't know what that meant until I got in there and I realized they gave me all the projects that like no one else could do or get done. It was mine. And I backed myself into a corner and I was like, okay, yeah, no one's getting promoted. This title is great, but it's not what I want to do. And I'm missing the complexity that I saw in my last role doing that market research. I want to get back out into that bigger scope of work. So the reason I started with Edgy Ventures is because it comes back around and that the folks that I met there would call me every six months and they'd say, Sam, are you ready to come do consulting yet? Are you ready to come try something different? And every time I'd be like, nope, not ready. Until one day I was ready. And I looked at consulting as this chance to do something that was bigger in scope again. There was a consulting company here in Chicago that had a whole vertical in higher education. They were building out their, their higher education division. They were looking for people who had these like soft skills and this lived experience to come and validate the research they were doing. And so basically, I took that call from my friend and I did some networking. I got interviewed and I started my kind of more formal consulting journey. And so that was my first pivot, basically, was just this knowledge in myself that I needed some more complexity and some scale. And I did that consulting for one year. <laughs> and I, I found for me that it wasn't exactly the right fit for me. And I'm happy to dive into what that looked like and, and what I learned from it. But when I realized it wasn't the right fit, I thought to myself, I can do anything for a year. And in that year, how can I build up the credibility to figure out like what comes next? And so all those things that I was thirsting for in my campus job about complexity, scale, getting this do made and have credibility on universities. I got all of that in consulting. And then when I was done with all that, I was done with all that. So that was my pivot. 
I kind of think of it as an iteration kind of in and out of education. But basically, it was part of this larger journey that I'm on now about this complexity and scale and the storytelling about uh, university work and how it's so transferable across different industries and the credibility that you have by working in an environment like that and how you translate it. I find your story fascinating because I think you hit it just right, right? It's not, it wasn't sort of like a pivot. It was, it was truly sort of more of a pathway, really, uh, you know, going, you, you were in education and sort of little E, right? Not, not necessarily campus and then sort of moved onto a campus, but then sort of took that next step. It just happened to be off campus. And, and even in your position now, it feels that there's a connection, a connection to education. I think your story is, is probably a little unique in terms of sort of that pathway process. Cause I think a lot of our listeners have made a very distinct decision. Like I am pivoting and it's, you know, they're on campus and then it's like, I want out where yours, it feels more like a natural flow, which, which I really like. And I think that that will show our listeners, like you don't have to necessarily go running and screaming from education if you or higher education or campus-based position. If you do enjoy that type of work, there's pathways to continue doing what you love just in different, different sectors. And so I really appreciate that story. I would like you to maybe highlight a little bit more about your current role. You know, I, I find what you do really interesting because it's something that I used to do and I do it for the customer side of the house. And so maybe if you could talk a little bit about, you know, not only your role, but what your day-to-day look like and, and how someone would be successful doing what you do so that if folks are interested in that, they might learn some of the skills that are necessary to do, to do just that. Absolutely. So I think one of the things that I've realized along the way is that education is everywhere. So it's not just in a classroom or on a university campus, it's everywhere. And a lot of companies are looking for ways to educate their workforce. And in my case, enable their workforce. So I work for LinkedIn. I am a senior enablement lead in our business. And basically my team is responsible for onboarding all the new hires that come into LinkedIn that have a sales or a customer service function. So just kind of first 30 days, getting you up and running in this very complex, very large environment, very visible environment if you're working with a social media platform. So all of a sudden you're hired a social media platform and you're using the platform. How are you visible to other people out in the market? So basically I'm a facilitator and a trainer. I do program and project management. And, you know, day to day, it's a lot. When I pivoted out of my last role into this role, I was telling my company, I need more complexity. I need more scale. I need to see things happening in a global business. So really interesting things are happening with the work that we're doing. And so day to day, my work is really around designing programs and partnering cross-functionally across our entire organization to make sure that new hires get the right information at the right time. That includes working with our LSD partners, our lines of business, insights teams, data teams, leadership to basically distill everything down into something that's actually a manageable onboarding program. And it kind of dovetails into this idea of learning happening everywhere and learning as a moment versus learning as an ecosystem. So we're working a lot right now on how do we create not just a program that onboards new hires, but an environment that onboards new hires successfully. This is my first time actually formally leading a kind of classroom environment, but I do live video training. Eventually I'll be doing live in-person training, but I get to weigh in with hairy questions like what does hybrid look like or what's, what a learning objectives are appropriate or how do we structure this in a way that 
is meaningful to the new hire and their manager so they can ramp as quickly as possible. So it's still education, but it's definitely not in higher education anymore. What I love that I've come to dig in about is that you you seem to have a fairly good sense at each step of your path about like what you sort of felt like you needed next, like you really wanted to have a global impact and things like that. And and that's not something that we like Tom and I and have ended up consulting because so many folks want to pivot out of EDU and they've sought our assistance. And a lot of them they really they don't know because they've only ever thought of, you know, of higher ed in, in a very linear kind of way. I, I'm wondering if some of that is because your first position out of your grad program was not in higher ed. But I am curious how you have gone about identifying with each step of your journey. What are the things that, you know, you've enjoyed, but but more so what are you what are the gaps that you want to fill how did you, um, is there any kind of strategies you've used to kind of self-reflect on that? I was thinking of this before our conversation because I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the stories we tell ourselves and the language that we used to talk about our dreams and our hopes and our strengths and our weaknesses. And so one of my pigeons for being on this podcast was like, I'm because I have a concern about the word pivot. Because it really, like Tom said, it's an iteration. And that language about iterating made it a lot less scary for me to think about. But I, what I figured out is that, especially in consulting, when you're entering an environment where you're the staff skills person, you're the nice girl who has experience in campus, like isn't that nice you can't do financial forecasting. I had to figure out what story I was telling myself and other people that would give me credibility but also courage to have difficult conversations or deliver hard news or just explore something I had never done before. And so for me, I think about this language about universalizing the work that we do. So yes, I was an academic advisor, but I was also, I would say, a client service person. I was helping these students navigate a complex environment, enabling their success. Was I also, you know, doing project management, program management. Yes, I was doing these things. And so zooming out of the narrative of I work in higher education, this is the language that we use in this industry. And I don't know how to translate it into something bigger than me and thinking about, okay, what are the actual skills underlying these shortcut terms that we have for the work that's doing? And what is my story about these broader terms has been really empowering because there was lots of times in consulting where I was crying. <laughs> I had a really hard time with it. And part of it was that I realized that other people were telling the story for me. And I had to reclaim it for myself in order to be credible on these university campuses. And so it was kind of that crucible moment where if, it, if you don't do it for yourself, somebody will do it for you. And taking that mindset and thinking about transferability and growth as an ongoing adventure and being really honest with myself about my gaps and being real honest about myself about what gaps I actually want to fix and what gaps I don't want to fix. It's also been really crystallizing for me. I, I think that's a really long kind of fuzzy answer to it, but I think it's just about the stories we tell ourselves day in and day out and we tell other people about the work that we do. Yeah, I love the reclaim the story piece, right? It, it is your story and it's your story to tell. The flip side of that is, you know, how are people interpreting that story? And that's sort of what we talk about all the time, right? We just phrase it a little different. Like, it's your story that you worked in 
in higher education or you worked in a K through 12 institution or whatever the case may be. And how you tell that story is up to you, but how people listen to it and how people interpret it is up to them. And so, you know, that goes to building a resume, that goes to thinking about your interview skills, that goes to building your LinkedIn profile, all the things that sort of help people make that pivot. And so I'm curious, what are some of the things that you did to, to not only make the pivot sort of or the next step in your pathway, but maybe even specifically to your current role, like what are some of the things that you did to prepare for that? Were there certifications that you took? Were there courses? Were there conversations that you had? Like what got you ready? Yeah, so I did a little bit of work to figure out if I was ready for something a little bigger and to give myself credibility. So I got my PMP when I was in my last role, which was really, I think the PMP is a really interesting credential where you kind of take what you can use and you leave the rest, but it gives you credibility. And again, a language to talk about the work that you're doing in a way that's really global and transferable. I took some Coursera courses to kind of get up to speed. I got a plug LinkedIn Learning, another great resource to get up to speed on things that you're just curious about and want to explore. I just watched one the other day on business planning. It's great. But I also, this is full disclosure, I started a PhD program. I started a PhD program in learning technologies. Um, it was a virtual program. And I, I'll be honest, I'm going to say it a lot. I quit. I did it for a year. I thought that I wanted to really be academic about the work. And I started taking this really amazing class in instructional design and, you know, prototyping and all this stuff and, and ontology, really cool stuff. And I was in this classroom and that was actually the moment for me where I was like, I think I'd be done with like higher education in general. I, this is really interesting work. This PhD program though is not for me but I'm interested in components of that, that I want to find my next role in to basically keep growing in this way, but in a more, I guess, active way. I was like, I'm done with the classroom, I think. So that was a crucial moment for me and a real big wake up call about my interest in education. And so those are the the big kind of things to me. It was just more learning. And the other thing that I'll say is getting a tough skin and getting a lot of practice about telling my story, about why I'm looking at these kind of roles now I work at LinkedIn. I applied to work at LinkedIn, I think, seven or eight times over the past like 10 years. It's been a lot. And they never interviewed me until this role. So I would say the other thing too is really being thoughtful about what I'm applying to and being persistent and not taking rejection as an end-all be-all, but looking for that right fit. Um, and in the meantime, working on myself and making sure that I'm filling those gaps to make me the most marketable candidate possible. Yeah. I think what you just said there is really valuable for our listeners. I hear a lot of people coming to Jamie and I for consulting work and they'll, they will say, I've applied for a hundred roles and I haven't heard anything. And I was like, and apply for a hundred more because at the end of the day, like you have a, you, you sort of have a, a, a hill to climb a little bit more than maybe another applicant who's already in the field. You're applying for customer success manager and you're applying against customer success managers. You, you're, you're sort of starting sort of, you know, a little bit below them in terms of the, the recognition of the resume you know, in terms of what you do. And so I think your advice there, your sort of story around being rejected six or seven times from the same company, I think that that's what's really interesting is that just because you got rejected once, twice, doesn't mean that you're not going to get it. It means that you know, there's likely a better position for you waiting, waiting down the road. I do want to dial in a little bit because you got your PMP certification. So I'd like you to tell the audience what that is. And then we get a lot of questions about, like, should I get that PMP certification? I want to go into this field. I literally, that's like, probably the number one question I get. And so I'd like to know from you if like, if you think, yeah, it was a good certification, you take some of it, you leave some of it, like, is it something that people should get? What's your advice there? 
So PMP stands for Project Management Professional. I did it because I realized I wanted to formalize all the experience I had. So if you're already doing a lot of project management work, and you probably are, if you're working in higher education, a lot of the work that we're doing is project management. So think broadly about the work that you're doing. And so I just wanted a way to reflect that stuff. For me, it was worth it for two reasons. One was that it was a way for me to test the water about, do I want to go back to school? Do I want to go back into classroom? Just getting in the headspace of studying again. So if you're thinking about grad school and you're not really sure if it's a good fit, taking a PMP prep course and things is a good way to just dip your toe and have a payoff at the end. The other thing was that, you know, for me, I was thinking, you know, project management, I'm doing it a lot. Am I doing it right? Do I think I'm guessing and I'm not really sure if there's a better way to do this work. And I guess what I learned from it is that if you're thinking about project management in a really flexible, agile environment, which is what I think a lot of us are doing in higher education, I'm certainly doing it in my current role. We're not doing super stringent waterfall where it's this phase, this phase, this phase. It's messy because it's human. And so for me, I think the PMP credential is worth it if you want to get some more language around the work that you're already doing. And you also want to have credibility to ask for resources or structure or templates or documents. You get that exposure to those items that can make your life a lot easier and help you formalize the work that you're doing in a meaningful way. The credential itself did not give me an immediate $10,000 pay bump or anything like that. I do think it helped me get hired in my current role, but I can't guarantee that even. So I think it's more about what you need and less about money. Which I wish I had known. I thought I was going to see pay bump. It didn't happen, but it was still worth it, I think. I, you articulated that so well. Those are, you know, particularly on the project management front, we do, Tom to this, get asked about it a lot. And I even, like, I, I didn't know what project, I didn't know project management was like a real legit thing until I got to my last job at Noodle. And I was working with this woman who did like a little like project management one-on-one thing. And I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this forever. And I made my own like project plans. One of them I called a treasure map because I was at Cal State Channel Islands. Like, you know, I had done all of the things too. I too did a little bit of the Coursera Google. Well, you didn't say you did this one in particular, but I did a bit of the Google project management one. And it is right. It just it really helps you to be a better professional. It puts terminology and kind of just framework, right? So what what you know. So that was a great explanation. And yeah, thank you for that. That said, it's a good opportunity to pivot. It's not really a pivot. It's related, but I just wanted to use the word. But also I I know you mentioned earlier about pivot and what about that word? And my opinion about that it too is that you can you can pivot out and you can pivot back, you know, so it's not it's not an end point. It's just like a dotted line from one to the next, like a ladder, I guess. I love that. Not a ladder, like a jungle gym. Yeah. Anyway, what in general, you've already given some great advice I know folks will appreciate. But if you had like an elevator that you were riding on, it could be in New York. It's fine. What would you share with someone as advice if they're you know, a hall director right now, but they really just want to do something different. So I think it goes back to the the crux of this, which is that you own your story. You own the language that you use in your resume. You own the KPIs that you're structuring your resume around or the cover letter you're writing around. 
you own the language about your experience and you can toot your own horn. You can brag about the great things you've done. You can talk about volume and numbers and really quantify that impact. And so my advice is basically when you start stepping into owning your story and owning the things that you've done in a very tangible way, it becomes a lot easier to explain how you bring value to other organizations. And value is a big word. That's an important word, though, if you're looking to pivot out of education. Because at the end of the day, for private companies, maybe they're looking for money. You got to bring value. And so, you know, that's a long-winded answer, but just own it, be proud of it, date it, and then work on that pitch. Don't be afraid of rejection because the more you do it, the easier it'll become. And you bring such incredible stuff to the world, then don't minimize your impact just because you've been working in higher education for a long time or even just a couple months. So that's my 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 spiel, the power up spiel. That was a great spiel. And for listeners out there, it's exactly what we've been telling you for three seasons and now into our fourth season is you have the skills, you have value to add. Higher end folks, teachers, folks that are working in a campus-based position, what you bring to the table is just as valuable, if not more, than your counterpart in sales or marketing or customer success or whatever it might be, because you've done it. You just have to think about the way to translate it. And so, Samantha, thank you so much. Or Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. It was really, really great to get to talk to you. Great to get to know you and love the role that you have at LinkedIn. What a cool role. And I think a lot of people will probably want to interact with you and engage with you. So hopefully we can put your contact information in our show notes. Your thumbs are up. So I think that that's a yes, because you are working at not only one of the premier companies, but you're also in a position that I think a lot of people will associate as a a position that they they see themselves being able to do. So once again, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Sam Goldstein. Check back next week for another episode of Pivoting Out of EDU. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. In addition to our podcast, we offer various ways to get support as you work through your career transition, including digital resources, one-to-one consulting, group workshops, and cohort-based blended learning experiences. For more information about these services and show notes, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. And if you haven't done so already, join our LinkedIn group called EDU Pivoters, where we share job opportunities and foster engagement between those who have pivoted and those who want to pivot.